0: Mx Network Production.
1: Welcome to the Pulp Hockey Show with Ray Ferraro and Steve Mathis. Support the show by clicking the Amazon banner on PulpHockey.com before shopping. Follow
2: the show on Twitter at Pulp Hockey. Subscribe on iTunes and find us on Stitcher or your favorite podcast app.
3: Welcome, everybody, to another exciting edition of the Pulp Hockey Podcast with Ray Ferraro. Thank you for listening. Appreciate it. Please get it on iTunes, get it on Stitcher, get it on any kind of podcatcher out there, or just go to pulphockey.com if you want to listen. Uh, thank you for the downloads. Thank you for the reviews. Everything else will be here each and every week to uh, to talk about the game of NHL uh, and uh, talk about the league of NHL, I should say, and the game of hockey. And things are going great. And thank you, everybody. Appreciate it. Enough Talking by me, let's get right to the guy who uh, provides us with so much hockey information each and every week. Played 18 years in the league, uh, now the lead analyst on TSN, Ray Ferraro. What's up, Ray? How are you?
2: I'm good. I'm uh, in Vancouver for the next couple of days, I was on Dallas and watched Winnipeg win again on Monday, and um, in Toronto on Friday
3: for the Hall of Fame game, uh, Boston and Toronto. Yeah, that'll be. Uh, that's always a great game, always really cool to see. Um you gonna stick around for the alumni game they always have, or or no? No, I'm sure
2: uh, no I am not gonna. Um, I am uh, actually going in uh, going to see Landon this weekend. So um, sometimes the schedule works,
3: sometimes it doesn't. So uh, yeah, I'm
2: in Friday, out Saturday.
3: Yeah, yeah, as usual. Hey, the Jets are uh, flying right now, and uh, they are in Vegas right here on Friday. Well, I'll tell you, I, I was really impressed with them. They
2: it, they're kind of an interesting group in that. There was so much expected. Um, They spent all summer talking about how they were going to be improved defensively, and they went and signed Steve Mason. And then they came out and fell flat in their face in their first two games. They just got pounded at home. Um, uh, I think they gave up 13 goals in their first two games. And then they went to Connor Hellebuck in goal. And Hellebuck's 8-0-2 as we tape this. He hasn't lost a game in regulation. Um, You know, Line 8. Liney had a little bit of a slow start. I, I laughed when he said, you know, the game of hockey is hard right now. <laughs> and then he's go, scored three games in a row since then. He's got seven goals in 14 games, and, you know, people are talking about him having a slow start. That be a lot of guys wish they could start that slowly. Um, Mark Shifley is a stud. Yeah. Um, he is a top and number one center. Uh, Blake Wheeler is the quietest 70-point scorer in the league. Um the more I watch him, um, and I'm doing more Jets games, mm-hmm. so I see him more frequently. Um, he's really, really, very good. Um, he's big. He can skate. He makes good plays. He's yeah. Um, he's a leader. He really is. You can just see that they kind of follow where he's going to go. And um, I think the Jets are. Uh, I think they are a playoff team. I didn't have them in the playoffs
3: mm-hmm. at the beginning of the year, um, and I know it's still way early, but um, I like their team. When we did our preview, I was saying, I, I, I mean, I was like, I don't know about this Steve Mason signing. I wasn't sure about it, and, and it hasn't worked out so far, but Hellebuck's there. But, but let me, in your opinion, and you're, you know, you weren't a goalie, but you certainly know these players. Um, does Hellebuck do, like, did the Jets panic and reaching out to get a veteran guy? Or, 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 did, or did this bringing in Mason maybe help Hellebuck take the next step? Uh, bringing in Mason doesn't do anything for Hellebuck. I don't think, okay. um,
2: I think they needed a veteran guy. Um, you know, last year they, they went through a couple of guys that, um, they hoped, um, uh, could be the backup mm-hmm. um, or the, the cold goalie if, if you will, Andre Pavlik really struggled and he ended up in the minors and then they called up Michael Hutchison and that didn't work. And, and eventually it just seemed to be too much for, for Hellebuck at that time. So he worked a lot in the summer um basically n- not reinventing but mm-hmm. um really really tightening up his 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 technique the way he moves around the net um I am really struck by how calm he looks he's a big guy um you know goalie build tall yep. and thin and um but he doesn't he doesn't get scrambly all over the place this year and that's a big change yep. uh bringing in Mason I'm I'm not a Mason guy. Um, I I think he can be hot, really hot, mm-hmm. but he can also be really cold. Um, they rolled the dice two years at nine million bucks for him. Um, so they hope to get a hell of a lot better play than they've gotten so far from him. But uh, I, I just think Hellebuck was at an age where um, too much was expected. He couldn't deliver. They went and got a veteran guy, but over the course of going to get the veteran guy, yeah. they – they probably didn't realize that their their younger guy had improved so much,
3: and they probably could have got a veteran guy for a lot less if they knew this of course, but they don't right so, but yeah. uh, you know lots of things happen in theory, mm-hmm. and uh reality is is far different this time uh yeah. The reality is Connor Hellebuck looks like a starting goalie. Absolutely. Uh, by the way, coming up on the show today, Ken Daniels, play-by-play man for the Detroit Red Wings for, for a long time now. Uh, worked at CBC for a long time. That's where I first remember Ken Daniels. He has a book out. Uh, if These Walls Could Talk, stories from the Detroit Red Wings locker room and press box. Kenny Daniels coming up, Ray, and it uh, seems like a nice guy. I can't wait to, uh, to talk to him.
2: Yeah, Ken's a, Ken's a super guy. Does a terrific job. He and Mickey Redmond have you know, been... Red Wing voices for forever. It seems like (laughs) now he's now he's doing some stuff with Chris Osgood as well because Mickey doesn't travel as much. Uh, Ken's had a really tough uh, last year. He'll um, you know we'll ask about him or get him to talk about a little bit about his son passed away last year and um, um, you know Ken's you know he'll tell you he he finds it therapeutic to talk about his son. just a, a stunning loss uh, for him, and, uh, man, I, 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 feel, I feel badly for him each time I see him because you know that no matter how he's doing, that's still in the back of his mind somewhere.
3: Yeah, absolutely. Tough, tough deal. Uh, looking forward to talking to Ken about uh, his book and, uh, and Red Wings and everything else, so, and the new arena. I haven't seen it yet, but it looks awesome. So Yeah, um, I, I got a game there December 15th. I'm looking forward to it. Absolutely. Um, we had a trade, and we had a big trade. Um, it's a little old now, but I think it's worth talking about. I have, haven't actually heard uh, your thoughts on it in depth uh, in too many places. So, Matt Duchesne goes uh, uh, from Colorado up to Ottawa. Kyle Turris goes to Nashville, immediately signs um, a six-year, $6 million deal. And Joe Sackett gets uh, 18 uh, draft picks and players, uh, approximately. Um, yeah, you, we'll, wh- start, we'll start with Sakic. Let's yeah. start with him, because he... It's funny, he had the player that
2: needed to be moved to get this whole ball rolling. And when people are evaluating the trade, Colorado's the team they talk about last mm-hmm. because they get all of their um, bounty for the future. Um, now, Samuel Gerrard is a, is a young 19-year-old defenseman. He looks to me a lot like Sammy Vatman. Okay. played just five games in the NHL, but has a lot of promise, uh, Hamanov is a is a Russian forward, twenty one years old. He plays in Milwaukee in the American League or was, and um, I think he's going to be a good NHL player. And then they started loading up on the draft picks. Yeah. You know, the the first from Ottawa and there's a second in there and a third and yeah. uh, they ended up with seven pieces in the deal. Um, now, if you look at this, if four of those seven play for Colorado, that means they got four guys for Matt Duchene.
0: Mm-hmm.
2: I, I think Sakic. At this point, you can evaluate and say he did a really good job. Now the scouts have to do theirs, sure. and they have to be able to to cash in on those picks. Um, we we'll get to Nashville. Uh, David Poyle has not uh, not been shy over the last couple of years. Just look at the trades he's made. Um, <laughs> right. back, to, yeah. back to Martin Irat to Washington for Philip Forsberg. Mm-hmm. Then they get Ryan Johansson for Seth Jones. And then they get Kyle Turris. For nobody off their roster, they still have that top four defense. Ekholm, Ellis, when he gets back, um, PK Subban, who of course was another yep,
3: you forgot about major that major yeah. trade, right. and
2: and their best guy Roman Yosi. So they haven't touched their top four. I I think Nashville's in great shape. This is a Taurus is a good player. I think he suits well as a number two with Johansson. Mm-hmm. Um, you know they'll. Whether they play Nick Benino on the wing and keep Colton Sissons in the middle, um, all of us, uh, they've got Callie Yarncroke as well. They're deep in the middle of the ice. Peter Laviolette's going to have lots of options. Uh, I like it from Nashville's perspective. I get why Ottawa chased Duchesne so hard. Mm -hmm. He's a dynamic player. Um, You know, he's played the wing mostly the last couple of years. He'll certainly be in the middle in Ottawa. Uh, While Eric Carlson's still under contract, they're going to do everything they can. To make their team a better team, so they obviously feel that Duchesne is an upgrade on Taurus, and I, I guess I would buy that. I, I would say Duchesne's a better, more dynamic offensive player uh, than Kyle Taurus. I think. Now they so. only yeah. have him for, yeah. yeah, but but not by a lot. Yeah. Look at their numbers. Yeah, not by a lot. Um, and so now you've got Touris or uh, rather Duchesne for this year and next year, and you better get him signed. Dude, they gotta get him signed, good. right?
3: <laughs> well, if not, you're in the same sweepstakes next year. Yeah, yeah. Um, money's always an issue in Ottawa. We know that, right? With the owner uh, Eugene Melnick. Yep. So, I would say, like for sure, no problem. They will sign him. But boy, I don't know. Well, so you've got Carlson coming up in a year and a mm-hmm. half.
2: Um, so that's eight years times whatever number he decides <laughs> whatever to write he on the wants paper. to put on the paper, right? Uh Bobby Ryan's got five years after this left at seven million dollars. Um, might be four years, but mm-hmm. it's at seven million dollars across the board. Duchesne makes six already. You know, like yeah. it, you get you get pretty steep into very few players in a hurry. So we'll we'll see how Ottawa tries to manipulate the roster, but to me it's a hey. it's a deal that's obviously um weighted to today, not for the future.
3: So, you know, we saw that the, uh, David Poyle got permission to talk contract with Turris, and he signed that six-year deal. And, and Pierre Dor- Dorian, the Ottawa G- GM, said the six-year deal was never presented to them. It was always seven and, or eight. Uh, of course, you can go that extra year if you're with the team. Um, so were you surprised at the deal that Turris signed, and, and Dorian kind of expressed a little bit of hurt feelings that that six-year deal was never presented to them? Did you catch that? Oh,
2: I got it. Yeah. yeah. And, I, and I mean it's pretty obvious what he said without saying it. Turris said I'm not coming back to Ottawa. Yeah. Or if I'm coming back, you're paying me an extra 6 to 12 million dollars ransom. An Ottawa to tax. Come back. Right. Yeah. Huh. Yeah, I'm not coming back and I'm going to be a free agent. Yeah. And so he was able to you know w- yeah. without getting into a big stomp your feet moment, mm-hmm. he was able to to dictate that he wanted to leave. Now, that's twice Taurus has done this. He didn't want to yeah. stay in Arizona, and he ended up in Ottawa, and he didn't want to stay in Ottawa. That was that was pretty clear. And so he's, um, you know, now he's on the way to Nashville, and he's got six years and
3: thirty six bills to to play with. Yeah, when I look at this trade, Ray, and I think about it, my first thought, first heard it. I'm like, awesome, cool, trade. That's my first thought, by the way. <laughs> Even though these guys all have mm-hmm. lives and families and everything else. I'm stoked that there's movement, right? Um, my first thought, though, my second thought was, well, do, Ottawa won. Duchesne's the best player. Then I started thinking about it, and I'm like, you know what? Like you said, Ray, that's an incredible haul for sakic A first and a third from Ottawa, a second from the Preds, and, and you know, a Sammy Vatanen type of prospect. Um, yeah, this is... A great
2: haul. Yeah, but it's got, but see, and but it is a great haul. But if they don't draft the right guys, mm-hmm. it's just a haul. Yeah. It's like you could think you've got a,
3: a boatload of gold, but you might
2: have a bunch of painted rocks.
3: <laughs> I like that. And you're not
2: going to know for a while. Right.
3: Um, well, I was at the Avalanche uh, Knights game, you know, a week and a half ago, and they just got blown yeah, up. Didn't go so well. It, oh, they were terrible. Uh, Eric Johnson stood out. Really liked his game. He was trying to do things. He looked very angry. Um, he was really trying hard. I like, and other than that, I'm watching these guys: McKinnon and, and Landeskog and, and Duchesne and. They just did nothing against the Knights. And I'm like, oh boy. But they've turned it around and played well recently. Almost I, like, I
2: think they've done, yeah. they've done a really good job, Steve, this yeah. year.
3: I mean, considering where they were last year, I think they've made
2: really good strides. You know, they've been, it's been yeah. impressive, really, what they've done. Now, they're miles away from being a playoff team. And the fact that they just traded Duchesne and didn't get anybody well, really back currently, well, that, that hurts them again.
3: That leads me to my next point. I was going to ask you about. So, if you're Joe Sackick, look, uh, the goalie's twenty nine. Gogg's twenty four. Tyson Berry's twenty six. McKinnon's only twenty two. Do you maybe just take this thing all the way down, Ray?
2: Well, I think they have. I mean, if you
3: no, what, but even Landeskog, even Landeskog, twenty four.
2: You're out. No, he's twenty four years old. He's, yeah, like, but this is is the prime. Okay. Yeah, but the prime of his career is in the next 6 and 7 years.
3: Okay. Like
2: I I I wouldn't I okay. the goalie, I the goalie I'm not so worried about. I you know, right. if they trade if they can find someone to take Varlamov or or they let him go as a free agent when his contract's mm-hmm. up, I'm okay with that. They're they're going to by the time they're a legit team, I think they'll have a different goalie. Right. But um
3: so twenty four is fine. Yeah. yeah, yeah, you're you're fine. 24, with being 24. 26, four, twenty six, you're fine. Yeah.
2: Um, Tyson Berry just signed a new contract mm-hmm. a year ago, so he's not going anywhere. I wouldn't think. Um, here's the here's the other thing. What if Colorado, you know, starts to head south, which I think they will, and they end up in that lottery. You know, the prize at the top of the draft this year is Rasmus Stalin. and that's a franchise altering pick.
3: Yeah, you've been high what if they on him. Win that yeah, all yeah. oh,
2: the kids are stud. Yeah, what ha- what hap What happens if they get him? Yep. And now they have, um, they drafted Kale Maker, um, in the first round last year. They've got Gerard. Um, if you get Darlene, all of a sudden you've got these incredibly mobile, new wave NHL defensemen.
0: Mm-hmm.
3: Pretty interesting. Yeah. All of a sudden. And I would say Phoenix has or Arizona has a lock on uh, the last overall, but as we saw with the lottery, the rule the, you know you just got to finish in the bottom three, and you got a pretty good shot.
2: Yeah, was, yeah, you do unless you finish 14th and end up with the second pick. Yeah, like Philadelphia
3: did. <laughs> yeah, exactly. Um, yeah, yeah,
2: you know it's funny though. Now I'm hearing everybody quote this, you know, from the lottery of last year, mm-hmm. like that's going to be the regular occurrence. Yeah, sure, it's not. It's a mm-hmm. lottery and. The odds are the odds, and the chances of somebody coming from 14-hole to 2 is is very, very slim.
3: Yeah, absolutely. A um, couple things, Ray, moving on from that. Ken Daniels coming up here on the uh, Paul Pocky Show with uh, Ray Ferraro. Uh, the Oilers are a mess right now, again. One last night. Yeah, true. Yeah, overtime's a nice goal. Uh, and
2: one, 2-1. One. But what's interesting <laughs> for them is, you're right, they are a mess. They started this road trip seven um Seven points out, uh, nine of their next 11 games are on the road, and uh, so they've got, they've got some work to do. Um, can they find their game on the road? Teams do. They actually, teams find their game on the road more easy than they do at home.
0: Mm-hmm.
2: Um, so that's, that's a possibility. Uh, two is they're getting all of their offense from about four guys. Yeah. And, and that's a losing proposition. So uh, you know, last night Drysidle scored unassisted on a breakaway, and then McDavid scored from Drysidle in overtime. Yep. You know, so it's a great win for them because it's you know they're on the road and they win. Talbot was really good. Um, you you can't win unless your stars are very good, but mm-hmm. you also can't win if they're the ones that are doing everything for you. You need something from the middle to bottom of your lineup and Edmonton's gotten virtually nothing so far
3: from. It. Yeah. But like you said, maybe getting on the road, would help, right? A long, long road trip, spending time together. Well, sometimes just, yeah.
2: it, sometimes it, it, you know, you realize because you're on the road, like you realize a little more desperation, you, a little more urgency. And, and I think that's been missing from their game. Um, but they're going to find out because they're going to play a hell of a lot of road games in the next month here.
3: Yeah, absolutely. Um, on the good news department, John Tavares has been on fire lately, uh, and Bar- Mar- Matthew Bar- Barzell five assists. Islanders are turning it around eight five and two. Um, and again, this just leads to the question everybody's talking about: is what is John Tavares going to do? You know, for next year. And, and mm-hmm. yeah, I mean, I, I, nobody
2: knows, I guess, but Tavares and and his agents. But you know, because he's kept it, you know, virtually silent mm-hmm. and, and said in every interview, it's always the same: I want to stay, I want to stay, I want to stay. Mm-hmm. Now, the Islanders have presented this idea or plan to build a new arena in Belmont uh, at the at the old racetrack. But if if they get approval, like how quick can an arena be built? Right. Is that two years? Yep. Where are they going to go for two years? Yeah, you know. So I I don't know how all of this wouldn't you know play into what Tavares has to think and to say eventually, but. Um, you know, I, I don't, I don't see that they're going to get near the deadline and and they're going to trade Tavares to Team X. Mm-hmm. Um, you know, I don't, I don't see it. I think they'll take this right into the summer and uh, you know, as they continue to work on this plan to, you know, to stabilize the franchise.
3: Yeah, Josh Bailey's been a real surprise, at least to me, anyways. You know, I mean, he's benefiting from from Tavares, of course, but
2: well, you yeah. know, the, the Islanders aren't that different than the Jets in that they've had a lot of first round picks. Um, Bailey was one of them. A lot of guys that you think are right around the corner from producing. Uh, and it's taken longer than you would hope for some of them. Um, now they traded Ryan Strom, who was a high pick. They traded him to the Oilers for Everly, who scored against the Oilers last night. Everly's had a really good start. Uh, you mentioned Barzell. He's their first round pick from a couple of years ago. I know him. Uh, he's from Vancouver here. He's a extremely skilled player. Um, Really loves to pass the puck. He's got great vision, good skater. the um, Five assists is is pretty crazy. What a what yeah. an awesome night for
3: him. You're right about that, Ray. Uh, good 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 analogy with the Jets. Like they've been collecting young guys, collecting draft picks. People are waiting, but then you get you impatient, know? don't you? You're like, okay, <laughs> when are these young guys going to play? And then yeah. you're like, oh,
2: they're all 23 and 24.
3: You know, yeah. it's, not, it's not too late yet. Yeah. Well, it's, it's interesting you brought up Blake Wheeler. I mean. Early on, Blake Wheeler, you know, oh, he's a bust. He's a bust. He's not doing what he's supposed to be, you know. Um, and he just slowly got better and figured it out. And it's a classic case of you know don't don't throw the don't throw the guy on the trash a heap. You know, you you never know. It's hard to be patient, right? But a lot of times, you know, teams teams get
2: impatient because they've got other draft picks coming. They've only got a fifty contract limit, mm-hmm. and then a player becomes effective with his second team <laughs> because yeah, yeah. team a has become impatient and um you know we we did that tsn we did that uh um uh, 50 best players in the league and i had wheeler in mind yeah i i think he's a terrific player
3: yeah you've you brought him up a few times this year including our preview about him you know and, and now like you said yeah. you're seeing you're doing more jets games so you're starting to get a
2: yeah i'll, t- I'll tell you he's. um but he's a great example of it, and you know, and, and Josh Bailey's had some decent numbers, mm-hmm. but he's never really broken out. And people think there's more there, and the Islanders keep hoping. Well, maybe this is a year where this is it, and he kind of springboards out of there. the The Islanders are a, they're an interesting team. They're a little bit of a high wire act
3: at times, but um, I think they're I think they're pretty decent. I really do. Um, also, too uh, the 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 GIF of Paul Maurice swearing. Oh, that outstanding! Was fantastic. People need to look it up. It was great. He was so mad. Oh boy! All you have to do is just is
2: is Google Paul Maurice disallowed goal yeah. reacting. <laughs> so great. I'm doing the game. I had to stop because it was like a 15 year old having a temper, tant- temper tantrum. Oh, yeah, really? Huh? It was that bad? Yeah. Oh, I didn't was watch the outstanding, game. Standing so. yeah. though, and he's like, <laughs> you, "So you saw?" Yep. like but that was it. He's looking at the video down on the floor uh-huh. where the camera is mm-hmm. or where the, the the video monitor is. Yep. And then he yells, "You know, f off!" And then he looks at one ref and he's like, "F you!" F- and then he looks at the other ref and he's like, "F you too!" <laughs> it was outstanding. Oh, I loved it. Couldn't oh, stop but... it. You, I can guarantee you won't watch it once.
3: No, you'll watch it about twelve times. Oh, it was good. It, it was really good. <laughs> <laughs> um hey, something I read in uh, uh Friedman's column, The Thirty One Thoughts on, on over on Sportsnet. Um uh he's Elliot Friedman's great reporter, real good uh, guy. It seems like he you know hustles really hard. People need to read it weekly, even though it's on, you know, the enemy's site, Ray, you gotta admit yeah, it. Yeah,
2: but Elliot is a good dude and yep. he uh, and he works really hard at that and it and um he get he uncovers
3: some really good mm-hmm. stuff. Absolutely. So one of the things caught my eye, he dropped your name this week. Uh, David Booth, who, you know, had, a, had a, scored 30 goals at one point with Florida Panthers, and he's kind of bounced around the league a little bit. The Leafs had him for a bit. Um, the Vancouver had him for a few years with, with Tortorella. Um, so he, he is a cool deal. He shows up uh, on, a, on a tryout with the Red Wings this year, and uh, he makes the team, which I honestly, I was pretty surprised when I, when I heard that and read that. And one of the things Elliot talked about was you, Ray Ferraro, ran into Booth uh, at the Vancouver airport and, and told him to never give up. Don't stop. Can you take us through that?
2: Well, yeah, I, I ran into him at the airport. We were getting on the same flight, and uh, he was coming back from a, a charity thing uh, that he does in Alaska. I think he was with Eric Griba and uh, at least one other player. Uh-huh. And um, so we were talking. I said, so what's up? And he said, uh uh, I don't know. I've been training like I'm going to play," he said. But I don't. I don't really want to go back to the KHL. I, you know, I kind of had enough of that. Mm-hmm. Um, you know, I'm not sure. He goes, maybe there'll be a tryout. I don't know, but and I and I told him, I said, look, if you still love it, chase it. Like, don't stop playing, because when you're in, you're in, and as soon as you step out, you're out the door. You're finished. You're gone, and you can't you can't go back. And the the way that the way that i've described my career is that you know when i was a little boy i dreamed of playing in the nhl and then i got to live my dream and you know david booth's doing the same thing mm-hmm. and so my encouragement or advice was to was keep doing it and until somebody tell until everybody tells you you can't <laughs> right keep doing it and and he signed in detroit and um you know whether he's going to play a lot in detroit this year yeah. or a lot in grand rapids if you love it you still play. Uh, you should still play. Um, what gets harder at the end is you're training in the middle of August, and you're like, "This is
3: like yeah. climbing uphill. Like got, this, this sucks." You got no offers. Yeah, you're, you're not. You're not. Look, no, yeah, but it's just right. too hard. All yeah. of, because you're mentally done. It's not.
2: It's not even Steve that you're physically done. Mentally, you're like, "I got nothing left to give. <laughs> I don't love it anymore." Yeah. And towards the end. I started to feel it. I got lucky um, because I played as long as I possibly could. Mm-hmm. My knees just said, "That was it, you were done." Um, so I didn't get to that point, but I was getting damn close. <laughs> when you're standing <laughs> under a, a bar to do squats,, yeah. and you've got more plates on there than you care to look at, and you've got to lift it, and it you know, like you, sometimes you' just mentally, you just you're done. You're like, I, I, I can't. I don't want to go run sprints in 90 degree weather anymore. I'm done. Yeah. I'm finished. I want to go play golf. And,
3: but David hasn't there yet. And so he should continue to try. What did he say to you when you, like, was he, it seemed like he's soaking it in. Did he say, uh, you know, thank you? Did, yeah. yeah. Uh, I mean, like, he, because he was still training and yep. he's like, yeah, I, yeah, I know, I know. And, and I'm like, no, but seriously, if you still love it, <laughs> keep trying. Um, yeah, it's, yeah, absolutely right. Until they kick you out of the club, because once you're out of the club, man, you know, like you said, there's, perfect advice. Yeah. There's,
2: there's no, there's no invitation back.
3: Well, he, hey, I'm surprised, man. Good for him. You know, that's awesome. It's a cool story. Oh, so
2: yeah, it, it, it's it really is. And for most older players, they get to a crossroads like that. Some guys say, "Screw it, I'm done," and other guys want to give it one last kick if they can.
3: I Wonder how Elliot got that scoop about that. I'm I i do not know. Ah. Um, didn't ask me. Yeah, yeah. No, that's that's awesome. That's really cool. Uh uh congrats on David Booth, right? <laughs> giving him a second life, maybe. <laughs> second. Oh, no, you know, that's it's all him. I just right. happened to be the guy standing there. Yeah, yeah, <laughs> exactly right. Um hey, something I wanted to do last week. We uh we didn't get around to it. And uh, Ken Daniels coming up here, by the way. Uh play by playman for the Detroit Red Wings. Something I wanted to do last week was Outside of hockey, because you hockey players always just relate like success by how your team is doing and how you how many goals you have and everything else. But I w- outside of that, Ray, because you know you had you played on some very good teams, I wanted you to rank the places you played in uh, for living, for enjoyment, for for the commute, the the restaurants, the the thing, the fun you had outside of how the team was doing. All right, so uh, uh, Hartford. New York Islanders, New York Rangers. I assume, right? They're different, and you'll tell us. Yep. Um That L.A. Kings, uh, Atlanta, St. Louis, uh, all the all the cities you played in. Um, go ahead. What was your most? Would you want to start from the bottom up? Do you want to go top down? However you want to do it.
0: I'll uh,
2: we'll go bottom up. Okay. Um, sixth place was Atlanta. Um, <laughs> all it's, right. uh, but but no, you're not you're not talking about hockey, right? No. Nope. So, nope. Um, if you've ever been to Atlanta and you've tried to go. Five miles and it takes you an hour. You'll be like, "This is ridiculous." Whatever, whatever the dictionary—if people even use those anymore—or whatever Google will tell you, urban sprawl looks like. Mm-hmm. It's Atlanta. It is hard to get around. I—I um, I never felt especially comfortable there. Um, it's not that the people were bad or yeah. mean or anything. I just—it just—it never seemed like. A, it, it was never a real comfortable place for me yeah. um and you know i was there two and a half years and um but i would i would rate that i'd rate that last
3: okay i've spent a lot of time in atlanta the arena is right downtown where's the practice rink and where do the players live uh well the players live in winnipeg now um, <laughs> thank you
2: thank you <laughs> uh, when when i was there a lot of the players lived about halfway uh towards the pra- or between the practice rink and game rink and okay. uh, that was in buckhead um uh, I lived in Duluth which is which is where the practice rink is yeah. so I was like okay. 40 minutes 45 minutes away from the game rink. Right. Buckhead is nice. Buckhead's really nice. Pricey. Really nice. Yep. But, um, um but I um yep. I was, you know, uh we found it good with the kids and stuff and for schools sure. and all that stuff. Okay. All right. Next up. Uh 5 would be St. Louis uh only because I was there very little. I liked yeah. it a lot. Um and never, you know, I lived in kind of a residence hotel because i was only there for two and a half three months mm-hmm. uh but i liked the people i liked i liked the area that i lived in um i just didn't know a lot about it yeah you know because i wasn't wasn't there long enough but um i liked st louis it was it seemed like a place i would have liked to have been
3: longer at well uh little known fact about a lot of the alumni stay there it's a huge got a huge yep. presence uh, of ex-players i guess
2: yep it is yep. a very popular place to play it's affordable uh, there's lots to do um Yeah, people like it there a lot. All right. Uh, Next would be probably the Rangers. Um, I didn't live in the city. I lived out where the practice rink was in Rye at Mm -hmm. the time. Um, I like New York. I like it um, because all it's got to offer, but all it's got to offer sometimes is a little much. It's a little much traffic. (laughs) It's a little too many people. It's, you know, they just, it kind of wore me down. Right. Um, Or... Well, it didn't wear me down. I wasn't there long enough before they traded me. Um, <laughs> after after Indiana signing, long...
3: yeah, after being yeah. courted, by
2: the way, by the Rangers. <laughs> yeah, that's all right, I guess. Um, after a while, though, it um, I could see it would be a, a lot for someone. You know, I'm from a town of 8,000 people, and so yeah. New York is crazy big.
3: Um, crazy big to anybody, I think. But I would rate that uh, fourth for me. Let me ask, did, did and maybe you don't know current players or when you played. Does anybody live in the city and go to Rye or no? The, the play, younger uh, guys. Most do? of the players okay. live downtown now. Oh, they do. Really, huh? Yeah. As as far as I know, yeah, uh, yeah. most of them live downtown, um,
2: and they don't practice in Rye anymore. They practice at in, in a new facility, uh, but it's the same direction. You got to go about forty minutes to practice. And and th- um, uh, but that seem that's
3: what the guys it kind of flips from generation <laughs> to generation. Sure. Players. Yeah, yeah. Did I read that one time? Um, in your era, or before yours, or after yours, that the Rangers bust the guys to practice back in or no? Did I did I dream no, that? No, I up? don't think I don't I don't know about that. I know guys used to uh, ride the train.
2: Um, you know, oh okay, uh, like the guys that lived out where we lived. Uh-huh. Uh huh. On a few occasions, I took the train into a game. Wow. And, um, How weird is that, huh? <laughs> just, no, I don't know. Just sat in the yep. train, a bunch of business people. You sit there, you zip yep. in,
3: get <laughs> off at Penn Station, and you're at the rink. Yeah, yeah, true, right? Yeah, it's right there. Okay. I would have thought Rangers, I thought that would have higher. I'm surprised. I'm really surprised that that's not higher on your list. Well, that's why you're asking. You're yeah. learning. You're yep. never, too, never too old to yeah, learn. Absolutely. All right, next up.
2: Uh, Islanders. Um, I really liked it. Um, I, uh, uh, I lived in a community called Huntington. And um, you know when I went to New York to play as a visiting player, mm-hmm. all you would see is the arena and the parking lot and the hotel, <laughs> the Marriott there, that was right? About it. Yeah, yeah, yeah. And um, and that was it. And then when I got out um, and lived in Long Island, I'm, it was beautiful. It's a it's an awesome place to live. I I liked it a lot. I um, very comfortable there. Mm-hmm. Um, relatively easy to get around. Um, I uh, yeah. I just I didn't find too and- much about. About Long Island, I didn't like. And if you
3: wanted to do something,
2: drive into the city, right? Like, Yeah. Like, yeah. Easy enough. Jump right. on the train, in you go, or drive in. It was. We did that a number of times. It was very easy
3: to do. Where did you, or where do they, where do they practice? Where's the practice rank for Islander guys?
2: Um, when I was there, it was in a place called Syosset. Okay. Um, I, be- I don't know if it's still there. They have a new... Um, they had built or, or redid their practice facility. It might even be in the same place. Mm-hmm. Um, but right now, like you know, we talked about Tavares earlier. Um, you know where the guys live and where they practice and where they play. The only thing that's certain is where they practice. Yeah. yeah. And
3: so you know everything else is kind of yeah. uh, a little bit more fluid. All right. So Hartford and LA are left. Please don't tell me you put Hartford number one.
2: No, I have Hartford number two. I okay. lived there for a long time. Yep. And Connecticut is an awesome place to live. It really is. It's it's beautiful. It's mm-hmm. um, you know, there's not a lot of people. Um, you don't generally get boxed in. Um, you know when I was there, the insurance industry was still very powerful and uh, very plentiful there, so the economy was zipping along a lot better. Um, I I really liked it. I I thought it was a beautiful place to live Um, you know I. Basically, I left junior and moved there. Yeah, you know, I left, you know, just as a kid, and uh, moved to, moved to Hartford full time when I was 21, and mm-hmm. um, I, I really loved it. I,
3: I thought it was a great place. It's actually maybe for the best that, that uh, you know, a kid from Trail, BC, goes to Hartford first instead of New York City. Almost sometimes. Yeah, well, really? I like sure you l- would have figured out. if I were 21 in New York, I
2: might have had a little <laughs> bit different view of things. Yeah, you know, I might have lived yeah. downtown and done a few different things. But, yeah, yeah. Um, you know, but uh, it was it was an easy move. Hartford was an easy move for me.
3: Um, so you complained about traffic with Atlanta, but uh, you love LA the most. And, and I one thing I don't I lived in Southern California for a long time. I could never love the traffic. But uh, but I guess when you're a Kings player, things are different.
2: Well, not really. Nobody cares if you're a Kings player, or a Lakers player, or Joe Schmo. If you're in traffic, you're in traffic.
3: Yeah, but you live. What I'm saying is, I always lived inland, and so I had to drive in. Oh well, and, yeah, we I mean.
2: lived in Manhattan, right? Which it's- Right, it's one of the most beautiful communities. um You know, the weather's great. You know, I, people would ask, "Oh, you know, it must be hard to concentrate." You, mm-hmm. you know, with all the weather, and I'm like, "Well, what's hard to concentrate? You go to practice in flip flops and a t-shirt most years, yeah, or most of the year, yep, yep. and you leave and you drive by the beach on your way home and yep. stop for lunch and or go home and, you know, the kids and I would, we would always be at the baseball park at the end of the street. I, you know, I pitch to them. I. Or we'd go to the beach and play this football game on the beach where um, I'd draw a big square in the sand and Landon and Matt had to get open in the square and I would throw it to one of them. Yeah. I'd be the quarterback and we'd play that for hours. And man, I just, I love it. I Every time I go
3: back there, I'm so excited I get to go back <laughs> for a couple of days. Uh, no golf on game days. Must have been hard for you, Ray.
2: Well, you know what? Back then it wasn't so hard. I don't know that I was as into golf as I am now. Oh, okay. Um, but I... No, I would never do that. I was always too paranoid of <laughs> of not, of not being ready to play. I will tell you though, um, on a game day, it is sometimes tough to take a nap when it's a perfect 80 <laughs> degree right. And- you know, a nice little breeze yeah. and you're like, Well, I'd rather be at the beach than taking a nap, and you're like, God damn it, I gotta go I gotta
3: yeah. go take a nap. Manhattan Beach is beautiful. I mean, you got the piers out there. It's just Yeah, it's a great place. Yeah. And uh yeah. fantastic. It,
2: it's expensive mm-hmm. for sure. Um but you're right. I mean it was you know, if we were fortunate enough to stay there, and so um yeah, I I just loved it.
3: There we go. Ray Faroes. Definitive rankings of all the places he's played in uh, outside of hockey, of course. But then again, Ray, like I, I told you to, to take the hockey results out of it. But a lot of times that affects things, right? I mean, you, you know, you did a good job here, but you know, when you think about how miserable you were, <laughs> there, there are
2: some places that could be just beautiful places, yeah, right, yeah, and and then you you lose seven hundred games, and that does affect <laughs> right,
3: right, what, what you think. You win the Stanley Cup in Winnipeg. And all of a sudden, and I'm a I'm a Winnipeg, and I'm a Winnipegger, so yep. I can I can talk about him. But uh, hey, speaking of LA, uh, so uh, we met up uh, in LA, um, by the way, and uh, it was uh, really cool to see you. My wife was pumped to to meet you and everything else, and um, you got your silver stick, Ray. Congratulations, you've got your one thousandth well, game silver stick.
2: Well, thank you for everything you did with that, and um, you know, like I I really think, and and not just now because I have one and it's a beautiful memento um, but I don't know how many guys have played a thousand games that don't have the stick mm-hmm. you know like I there can't be very many because there weren't many players that played a thousand games because for a lot of years they played 48 games or 50 games and I can't believe the well I can believe I guess but the that the league just didn't make it right or hasn't made it right just get the sticks for the guys that don't have it I mean I, I don't know what they cost to make I really don't um but it's um it's a really it really made me feel good to look at this and you look at your career and it's in this memento of of a beautiful silver stick and it's got the number of games you played with each team and the date of your game, you know, it's. Yeah. I don't know. It, it really it really was a, it's a wonderful, wonderful memento. I, I love it.
3: Uh, and so what happened, I'll fill people in a little bit. So Hugh McCourt, custom metal works in Edmonton. He does the sticks for, I want to say, three quarters of the teams in the league. He started doing it. Mid to late '80s, the Oilers were the first team to do it, and he's in from Edmonton, Custom Metal Works up there, and and so that's basically how that kind of happened. He started doing it for the Oilers. The NHL caught on, started getting him to do you know more and more sticks for everybody, and the stick he made, you Hugh McCourt, there, he, it was the exact copy of what the guys get, so you know the same stick, and he listens to the show. We're lucky he listens to this podcast, and um, he reached out to me and said we can we can fix this, and I'm like yes. We need to. And, uh, and he hooked it up, and uh, it, he, he's into motocross, so it worked out a little bit of a deal. And then the hardest part for me, Ray, was I don't know anybody at LA Kings. I don't know Mike Alteri or Luke Robitaille, but thankfully uh, I got hooked up with Landon. Landon kept it quiet, and, uh, and Luke did a great job. He loved it. I spoke to him before we dragged you into the room before gordon miller got you into the room and uh and luke luke loved the idea he was laughing already about how you know they're gonna fix this for you and uh and it was awesome yeah it was really cool so
2: well it's, it's funny you know because luke is luke is one of the great guys he really is and as you see like when he talks everybody gets into to be in a good mood yeah luke's in a good mood and, yeah. and mike altieri is one of my longtime favorite people that that i've come across and in professional sports he's just a he's fantastic at what he does he's an amazing guy um i'm really proud to call him my friend and you guys all conspired to get this done and yeah. nobody blew it and um <laughs> and then so luke's presenting it to me and he's like oh that's a lot of slashing penalties 1280 whatever penalty minutes and he's like ah ha, ha, ha. You know, like, <laughs> right. but that's just right. luke right like he's he's just oh i just i loved i loved everything about it and i you know, as I said, yeah. to you, thank you very much for all you
3: did, and and um, to you, that just just amazing. I just I just love it. Um, and uh, and it was funny because Hugh, we tried to get a stick of yours, and Landon's like, yeah, he has nothing. Landon's like, he's got nothing. And uh, yeah, nothing. Right. And and, uh, and so Hugh went through some photos and found you sort of your curve. And when you you know Luke was like, that looks like your curve in the presentation, and you're like, yeah, it really does. And Hugh worked at it to try to get it. Your curve. Uh, it, lo- you know? it looks like my stick. Yeah, it really does. Yeah, I. I yeah,
2: <laughs> there's nothing. There's nothing that could have been better about that. About no. that, oh. and I probably appreciate it more because it was all these years later.
3: Right. Yeah. No. Well, we can't. Like Gord Miller said uh, uh, during the presentation, we can't do much about the World Junior invite. <laughs> So
2: no, at fifty three, I'm a little old to get one of those invites. So this, this yeah. will have to suffice.
3: Absolutely, and uh, and you invited us into the booth in between the second period. I missed the Matthews penalty shot goal, but you know what? It was cool to to be up there. Thank you for letting my wife and I come up there. That was kind of neat.
2: Yeah, no, it's uh, so. it's a fun place to to be, and um and that tu- that night turned out to be just just awesome. Just
3: as I said, just perfect. Um, all right, let's uh, let's bring Ken Daniels in, shall we, and uh, and talk to him. Entering his 21st season as the Detroit Red Wings play-by-play man, and uh, where has the time gone? Also, a brand-new book out, If These Walls Could Talk, stories from Detroit uh, Red Wings locker room and press box. We're happy to bring on Ken Daniels. What's up, Ken? Thank you for coming on, man.
1: My pleasure, Steve and Ray. You guys, uh, I love listening to your podcast. so nice to be part of it. Thanks for having me.
3: Yeah, no worries. Uh, Ray, and uh, hard to believe, Ray, uh, Ken's in 21 years now. I remember him at CBC. Well, I was just going to say, Kenny, can can, you ever think back and go, man, this has turned into
2: way more than I thought when I started? Yeah,
1: it's been a lot of fun when you get spoiled. I got spoiled, Ray, in my first year winning a Stanley Cup, 97-98. The Red Wings, it was their second cup. So you start there, that, that's pretty good. And I just said, keep on spoiling me. So to win uh, another one in 02 and another one in 08, and again, when I say win, I had nothing to do with it, but you do get a ring. So <laughs> that's always nice. So it turned out pretty well. And when I decided to leave Hockey Night in Canada, John Shannon, who was the executive producer at the time, said, you know, I can give you games, but I don't know how many because CC was there, as was Chris Cuthbert and Bob Cole and Don Whitman, and how many games? games was i really going to get and he said the only way you're going to get better at doing this is to do more games you need more reps so i thought from maybe doing upwards of 25 or 30 to doing upwards of 80 or 90 including college that was uh, the way to improve so that's what i did
2: now you've uh, for a good portion of your detroit career you've been with the always entertaining mickey redmond um give us give us some goods on Mick. he is uh, he is the character
1: well, as I as I talk about in my book, he is uh, my Jed Clampett, really. And if you, you're old enough to know the Beverly <laughs> Hillbillies, way back in the day, you may uh, you may laugh at Uncle Jed uh, or Jethro or the rest, and you thought, boy, you know, he's spinning these yarns, Uncle Jed. What's he talking about? But at the end of the episode, he was the smartest guy in the room. So <laughs> that's that's sometimes, Mick, he's just down home even when I call him now and I say, "Nick, I called your house, I got a busy signal, he said, you've come to the right place. So, you know, he only started texting a little while ago, finally got away from the flip phone, so he's uh, really graduated, come a long way, you can see him, uh, you know, asking Google on his phone and where he's going, so he's, uh, he's really adapted, but But working with him every day is an adventure, and he's become a very good friend. And our wives are good friends, and they travel together. So you know what it's like, Ray, in this business. You work with lots of different people. But to be able to spend the amount of time we have now at 21 years together, and I write about that in the book every time he comes into the booth and he says, Kenny boy, and it's like he's saying, honey, I'm home. You're almost married for that period of time. And it's been a marriage that's uh, been been very nice that we get along. And even during the off-season, we talk on the phone. Yeah, If not every two days, every three days And uh, still hang out So it's pretty good to have a partner that long It lasted, it lasted twice the
2: time of my first marriage <laughs> <laughs> hey, uh,
0: You
2: you guys are in the new building in Detroit now And I haven't been there I get there uh, December 15th I'm really looking forward to it But really part of the new building Is a testament to what Mr. Illich did Over the previous 30 years in Detroit Um Give us a little insight on what you saw um, with mr. illich when, he, when you came aboard and where the red wings went over the you know over the course of his the rest of his tenure.
1: Well, he was, you know, he, when he rebuilt the Fox Theater, which was really a dilapidated building, and it's become one of the most beautiful theaters you could ever go to. And that was really the start of the renaissance in downtown Detroit and he moved the, the Little Caesars uh, Empire downtown. He wanted it, and his uh, I think, if, as he says, if his kids didn't want it, he wouldn't have done it. And it's become, you know, downtown will be the Illich legacy. And Dan Gilbert, who owns the Cleveland Cavaliers and Cricket Loans, is a big part of downtown Detroit, too. But if the Illich family really didn't put their heart and soul into it, led by Mike and Marion and the casino, Motor City Casino, which is uh, owned by Marion Illich and Company. So if they really didn't put their heart and soul into it, I don't know where downtown Detroit would be. It was just a shame that Mr. I passed before he could see what became of this building because he knew that the district Detroit Detroit, a 50-block area with this building, and you, you've got Ford Field right there, and the Pistons are in now with the Red Wings, and Little Caesars Arena, you've got Comerica Park right across the street, so all the teams together, and when you get in there, Ray, and you see all the restaurants that come into downtown Detroit and the people, it, it's, you won't recognize it, and it's going to be another five years probably before it's all completed with the five-star hotels right there and everything else, but um, he is a wonderful guy, and it was just too bad he didn't see it.
2: You know, when when I was with the Kings, Kenny, um, we we had this meeting and they pulled back this curtain and showed us the mock-up of what LA Live was going to look like. And we were like, they're going to build that down by the convention center? That place is a pit. Nobody goes there. And now we see what LA Live has done for downtown Los Angeles. And so it sounds as though that's what that section of Detroit will be turned into, with with downtown Detroit's project, correct?
1: Yes, absolutely. And uh, the big viewing area outside can hold roughly 5,000 people. There's a beer garden. There's that uh, huge big screen so you can watch the events as they're going on inside. Uh, you can be outside, and, you know, if the Red Wings get back to the playoffs, hopefully sooner rather than later, uh, it'll, it'll be a, a zoo downtown, and that's what it's all about. And if the Tigers are playing right across the street, it's going to be really something. They've turned it into what LA Live is. But And, you know, and we talk about the, the, the bright red seats that are at Little Caesars Arena, and the seats look empty, even though the lower bowl, which has about 3,000 more seats in the lower bowl than Joe Lewis had, so upwards of 9,000. But we've seen this in Toronto games too, right? We're halfway through the period because they're, the patrons are down in the bunkers and they're drinking and eating. That's what they're doing here at Little Caesars Arena early on now, and they're on the concourse taking everything in because – you know how Joe Louis Arena—it was a pit for the most part. Like people said, "What are you going to miss from the Joe?" And I said, "Absolutely nothing." <laughs> Although I do miss maybe the intimacy and the people. You was just quaint, and you knew where you were going. Now you go on the concourse at Little Caesars Arena. Literally, the biggest part—Little Caesars Arena concourse—the biggest part is four times the size of the largest. At, at Joe Lewis Arena. So it just tells you how magnificent the building is. And it's going to be a destination spot. Our, m- my wife, our family, friends who go downtown Detroit, we maybe before Little Caesars Arena was built. I shouldn't say over the last six months, our restaurants have come up. We maybe go down once a year downtown. We go down twice a month now just to try out all the different restaurants that are downtown. And when you come into town, Ray or Steve, I'll give you great recommendations on great spots.
2: Uh, I will take that up. Now, you must miss the fact that you have to wrestle your way past the writers to get to the one bathroom <laughs> that was in a press box that was built by accident at the Joe.
1: Yes, it was built for the 79 Republican Convention, and that was when Ronald Reagan got the nomination. Uh, and they forgot the press box, so they took out the last oh. two or three rows of seats and built it up there with uh, <laughs> with the popcorn that everyone stuck their hands into and the one bathroom that was upstairs right And you had to wait in line to get in. You'll be happy to know, Ray, there is a bathroom uh, in the gondola at Little Caesars Arena, and at the top of the ramp, there is a huge bathroom. And the other nice thing they did at Little Caesars Arena, unlike some buildings, and, and we were in it, Mickey and I were in it, more Mickey than me, uh, from the beginning of the process of building the rink, it was maybe four or five years ago, Chris Illich came to us and said, what do you guys want? And we asked for a gondola. And a couple of years later, Chris said, uh, the gondola's still in the plans. it's a lot of money, but we're hanging in there with it. And lo and behold, he did it. The other thing we, we asked for was that the written press be uh, above us, not beneath us. So you're not in your position in the broadcast spot overlooking laptops and trying to see over people walking down in front of you that a lot of buildings have. Because after all, not you or I, Ray, but the, the, the folks who uh, own the television rights pay the rights fees, right? And uh, yeah. written press don't. So they're up top, we're down low, and it's, uh, it's, it's a great view. I think only Montreal might be closer. We're higher than Montreal offset from the near boards, Montreal, 65 feet back. Their gondola, we're 67. So it's a nice view. It's high, but it's a nice view.
2: You know, Ken, you said something there that I never put together, and I'm going to go home right now and wash my mouth out with mouthwash, (laughs) is that (laughs) that popcorn bag was in vicinity of the bathroom. (laughs) Yes. And I am certain... Not everybody washes their hands when they come out of that bathroom. I've just been grossed sure out no, like I haven't been in years, man.
1: <laughs> <laughs> Sorry about that. But when when you get to our new building, wait till you see the goodies they've got upstairs. Now, granted, it's not on our level, which is a good thing because I gained another 10 pounds. But if you go upstairs, all the snacks, the, the licorice, the, the jelly bellies, they got everything up there for you, right? You'll love it, and you don't have to stick your hand in any bag of popcorn. It's great.
2: I do love that. Hey, in your book, Ken, do you talk about your favorite Red Wings? I mean, you talk, you mentioned you, you know, you, you arrived on the scene for the second Cup. I mean, what a what a golden era of of players. My favorite Red Wing, even when I played against them, I just stared at him all the time was Pavel Datsuk. He was my favorite. <laughs> so who, who was your favorite? I'm with you.
1: Pavel Datsuk, I'm with you, and it's it's funny, and I talk about this in the book because uh, one of Pavel's first years, and I when I sat on the bus, Igor Larionov and Pavel Datsuk, whose Pavel's in, English wasn't good. I think it was better than it was because Brett Hull used to be on him all the time, and I think. Pavel feigned that he didn't understand the English language. I really think he was just ignoring Brett. But Pavel and Igor sat right behind me. Uh, my, you know, it would have been Pavel's rookie year was oh one oh two on the Stanley Cup year. So that year, and I watched Pavel skate, and to me. Pavel skated, you know, sort of the the wide leg, right, and hunched over a little bit. I guess I made a comment on the air, and I feel this tap on my shoulder, and Pavel and Igor are right behind me on the bus. And uh, Igor says to me, I can, Pavel doesn't like the fact that on the air, you said how he skates, you called him a monkey. <laughs> and I said, well, I didn't call him a monkey, I called him an orangutan. <laughs> and, because there is a difference. <laughs> there is a difference. And, and Igor says to me, I'm not joking, and neither is he, and I said, okay, I get it. So after that time, I never referred to him like that again, but it was pretty funny. But he was just my favorite player to watch, and I always say when, when you call a game, you wait for the greats to come over the boards, whether it be Gretzky or what I watched hockey, I, you know, Bobby Orr is my idol, or uh, Phil Esposito, and you just waited for something to happen when they came over the boards, and Guy Lafleur with Montreal, and when I got to Detroit, uh, you know, you had the greats, and Fedorov and Eisenman, of course, were already there, and Brendan. Shanahan. But he, the anticipation of Pavel Datsuk doing something, and that's where just watching him, and that's where it started the origins of the, that Datsuki and Deke, because he didn't start in 01, 02, and 02, 03. If you look at his numbers, he didn't score a whole lot of goals, but just setting up a lot of plays. Then 03, 04, and he started to score, and I couldn't wait for him. I, I, I just love watching Pavel Datsuki. He was my favorite by far.
2: How many more years do you have, Ken?
1: Uh, I'd like to, well, you may think this is crazy. I'd like to do this for another 20. I mean, what else would I do? <laughs> I know Bob Cole's still doing it into his eighties, but honestly, you know, we, we get paid to go in and, and, and watch a hockey game. Right. And I, I don't know yeah. how long Mickey's going to do it. And it'll be sad for me when, when Mickey moves on, he doesn't do all the games, uh, on the road anymore. He probably does, you know, if we do, th- the 35 road games, uh, you know, some are lost to the network. Mickey will maybe do um, 15 of those. And then Chris Osgood and Darren Elliott fill in. But whether it be any of those three guys, we have such a good time. And like when all players say, right, Ray, when you leave the game, you miss the camaraderie of being in the room. Yeah. So I love it. We we got our summers, and the winters are, are, are filled with fun. So I want to do it as long as I can, as long as they'll let me.
2: Yeah, I think, I think I'm with you. I always thought I would, oh, they will get to be a point, and I'll just stop. And I'm like, but... It's a great gig. We get to have And we so travel much fun well. We travel well, right? Oh, I mean yeah. you know you guys are going to well, commercial some of the time. <laughs> do. I'm on commercial.
1: <laughs> right, that's what I'm saying. You go commercial unless Gordy wants to, you know, pay for that charter flight you flight you got, whether Miller wants to do yeah. that. But we, we travel so well on what is now Redbird Three that it's 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 not an issue whatsoever. We just we love it. It's first class all the way. It's uh you know, we had some some scares along the way over the years, but overall it's been great.
2: Now, Ken, uh, the last year hasn't all been fabulous for you, and um, I, I, I know you—you uh, you, know—you've really had a difficult time with your son passed last year uh, suddenly, and um, uh, I, I can't even possibly imagine um, how you get yourself in a headspace that you can go on. Um, but talk about your son a bit, and um, and and how you've how you've been able to move forward.
1: Yeah, it's been, it was a difficult time. And I think really, you know, we started Ray and Steve to uh, write the book. Uh, They approached me October of last year and Jamie passed on uh, December the 7th. So I stopped for quite some time. And then all of a sudden, you know, you get a a deadline coming of April and January and I, my wife and I went away to uh, Florida. And Bob Duff, I had started transcribing a lot of the stories to Bob. And from December 7th, to the end of January, I couldn't do anything. And I don't know how you get through except when you say, how long do you want to keep doing this? I think getting through and doing hockey games was the best way to get back at it. It was the only thing that got me through it. And then I found when I started writing at the end of January, it became cathartic for me. When I originally was approached about the book, my son, Jamie, who was working for a law firm and studying for LSATs, he was in Florida living there. And uh, he said to me, why do you want to do this book now? Why don't you wait till your career's over so you can really do a tell-all? And I said, well, that really isn't the purpose of it, but I'll go with you on that. And he actually checked over some of the contract language for me and then when he passed december 7th it's uh, you, you can't imagine i guess no one can but to all the people you know who reached out i was so thankful for it and i i won't get into the whole thing with with jamie but he had been uh, addi- addicted to um, prescription medication and uh, had gone down to florida because when you're over 21 right he was 23 he didn't have to seek help but he did and this is where you know when because of this book i can speak out now and the laws are changing and president trump did make an announcement a couple of weeks ago limiting prescription medication oxycontin Perkin, uh, other other things that are out there to try to limit them to a seven-day script because kids today they just have access to too much of it and when they can't get the prescription drugs they'll turn to cheaper heroin and you don't know what you're getting in that drug and ultimately that's what did jamie in. he'd been clean for seven months but living in florida was what was called patient brokered. He was at a 12-step meeting program, and kids in Florida go to meetings to try to get kids to come live to these so-called sober homes where the sober homes uh, want you to basically relapse again. So you'll have to go into detox, they can build the insurance company, and that's what makes the whole thing go around. It's called the Florida Shuffle. And Jamie, unfortunately, got patient brokered by a kid, and uh, four days later, after seeing a new doctor, put him on a, a um, generic form of Xanax, and a kid who'd been clean for seven and a half months should have never been on Xanax, for sure not. And then three days later, he wound up passing, and the kid who um, got Jamie in the home where he lived took all his stuff and left. No, So... It was—it's um, unimaginable. Oh man! Uh, but Jamie tried, and that's why we don't want his life to be remembered—that you know he didn't give this an effort. It's—it's it's a sickness, and I know Scott Oak and I have talked lots about it. He lost his son Bruce um, to the uh, same addiction or, or similar, anyway. But Jamie started with prescription drugs, so that's the, the long and short of it, and that's why now when I go and I can talk about this book and talk about Jamie and talk to parents who want to send their kids places, You've got to listen to them to hear what's going on. We did. We asked Jamie not to go to these places. But, you know, when you're 23, Ray, um, kids seem to think that they know everything, even though, mm-hmm. no, they don't. But they do. And unfortunately, he got caught up in a, in a scam, which has now uh, sent the, the person who's Jamie's was living at, the house where he was, at, he was serving 27 years in prison. And uh, one of the two doctors he had seen uh, just got four years in prison. So it's uh, we worked with the FBI for months and after Jamie's death maybe that was the only thing that got us through it so his yeah. life um, would mean something to maybe help some others and um that's been good for us
2: Ken, that's uh that's a horrible horrible story i i i can't even i can't even extend my sympathies enough i mean i i see you and i say i'm sorry and then i hear this story the detail which you've never shared and right. i i can't even get my head around it and um Oh man, I, I just wish you and your family all the best. I mean this is hey,
1: I I appreciate it, Ray, a and your thoughts thing. and after Jamie passed and you reaching out and that's all I can tell, you know. And people don't know what to say on this and I don't want to sound like a preacher, but Anyone who passes, whether it be a, a brother, a mother, a father, a son, a daughter, it, it doesn't matter just for someone just to send out something, hey, there are no words and there aren't. What can you say to something like that? You can't. But it's taught me when anyone loses someone just to reach out and say, we're thinking of you. And really, all those texts that I got from people, including you and everyone in the hockey world was so wonderful. An hour before the game, Columbus was in town, and John Tortorella was texting me an hour before the game. It means a lot. It means a lot. There's nothing anybody can say, but just know their inner thoughts and Jamie's in their thoughts. It matters. So uh, now, now with the book, I, I get to tell his story and, and the longer. I talk about it in the book where, you know, people confuse us. We've got so many guys on our team named Ken. There's Ken Caller, radio guy, or security guys named Ken. I get lots of times, hey, Ken Holland, out on the street, right? And I say, No, you missed that by about two million of which Kenny corrects me and says, No, I think they misses it by about three million a year, but go ahead.
0: <laughs> so
1: So you'll get I'll get Ken a lot and then after Jamie passed, I could just see the looks on people's faces and it was oh there's the Red Wing guy whose son passed away and I say in the book, I say, I'm good with that because if that's they're remembering Jamie in that way mm-hmm. I'm okay with it. So that's all right for me. So thanks for letting me tell that story, guys. I didn't want to, you know, have this uh, as, as a, a downer on there, but if it's a way to remember Jamie, I, I thank you for letting me tell it.
2: No, but, but it's, uh, it's important and it's important to you. And you've brought, brought so much entertainment through the way that you bring the game to people. People need to know. People, people need to know. And uh, Ken, well, I thank you. Uh, you know, you're one of the best. I enjoy your call. I love when you and Mickey get the giggles. I, <laughs> I, I really do. It's, it's some of my favorite parts of the game. And when well, I got it Mickey Ray. I, I don't know. I, I gotta I gotta
1: tell you that one of the best giggles was the night last year at Joe Louis Arena where we smelled weed coming up through the seats. There was the distinct smell of marijuana. And I talk about this in the book. And one of the clips we came out of, you know, you come out of break and it was the last year of the Joe and and we're talking Justin Ablocator and the comment he makes is at the end of the clip as we come back to play is that Justin Ablocator, I'm going to miss the smell of the Joe. There's a certain smell in this building. And Mickey right out of that clip as on cue says to me, there's a certain smell in that. Just building, all right, what's that song again? Uh, Strangers in the Night, "Dooby Dooby Do. Well, I, I just started to laugh. And then he starts to laugh, and then on cue, uh, number 25 of the Red Wings goes back to get the puck. And I said, well, as Green goes back to get it, Yes, green is prevalent in the building tonight, yeah. and it just and then he just loses it so usually my my goal in any given game is to get Mickey to lose it, and uh we can do that at times, it's, we have a lot of fun, and i'm I'm glad that comes over. you know sometimes Ray in this biz we can get off on a tangent, and the play goes on and on, and that'll piss some people off but mm-hmm. if if we're having fun, we hope the fans are, and you can't please everybody right
2: <laughs> no and there and there are times when something happens and it's only pleasing to yourself because you're the only guy in on it and you you cannot stop giggling and you're hoping for a commercial break to rescue you. (laughs) Well, there
1: are many times you're doing a game and I'm texting during a game. You just make me laugh out loud. And that's what it's about. And if you're you're good with it, chances are those who like you will be too. So that's okay. Uh,
3: To wrap up here. Oh, sorry. Go ahead, Ray. I was just going to say, Ken, I'm going to see you on December 15th, so I will
2: take you up for those restaurant reservations or res- recommendations and uh, look forward to seeing
3: you in, uh, in about three weeks.
1: Thanks, Ray, for sure. Stay in touch. I'll, I'll do that
0: for you.
3: Fantastic. Ken Daniels, uh, pick up the book, If These Walls Could Talk, stories from the Detroit Red Wings, locker room and press box. Lots of good stuff from there. And, uh, and thank you again, Ken, for the time. I uh, really appreciate it.
1: Thanks, Steve. My pleasure.
3: Good stuff right from uh, Ken Daniels and uh, uh, book seems really interesting, a lot of good stories, and uh, I bet you there's probably a whole chapter devoted to just Scotty Bowman
2: well, there's so many stories about Scotty, and um you know he's he's just this brilliant guy that sometimes you can't follow what he's thinking or talking about <laughs> and that's that's really a lot of Scotty's stories because like his his memory is ridiculous. Mm-hmm and he'll be talking about something when everybody else is like i don't even know what he's talking about anymore but <laughs> Scotty remembers yeah exactly you know so oh there i'm sure he's got some in there but ken is a ken is a good man he is a entertaining broadcaster and um and you know as he shared just mm-hmm. a just a terrible story about his son and uh hopefully they're able to continue to do some work to help um uh, help with what's uh yeah. a, a problem that i, I really Fortunately, not familiar with but um just sounds terrible
3: yeah absolutely i know you know in the motocross world that i follow a lot of these young kids it happens to a lot of them they get an injury which is common you get some prescriptions and they're easy to get and you can't get off them man you know you really can't and uh that's definitely something that's a problem uh it, there's no bright side to it but it's nice to hear some people are doing some time for the things they've done, you yes. know, so that's yep. it's, you know, something. Uh, all right, everybody, uh, we're going to wrap this up with some questions from uh, from you from Twitter. But before we get to that, watercraft insurance, Ray, all risk, agreed value protection, claims paid without depreciation, uh, winterization and freezing and vermin coverage all covered at allpointsinsurance.ca right now. Um, three year new model replacement as well. Get that watercraft done with such a limited time to enjoy it. Don't waste any of it worrying about how to protect your property in the event of accident or theft. Allpointsinsurance.ca for our friends who are listening in Canada. Uh, please check it out and thanks to those guys for coming on the show. Uh, all right, let's get to some Twitter questions we asked for for some from our listeners and uh, yeah they came through again this week. Thanks everybody. Um, here's here's a it ties into uh, Ray's random NHLer segment that we like to do from time to time. Uh, from Todd Holman, how about an Ulf Samuelson story?
2: Oh, uh <laughs> oh. <laughs> got a hundred. Um, I'll tell you one, though. We're in Toronto, and Ulfie's um, taken a penalty. And um, I don't remember the penalty, but he's, yeah. he's going to be kicked out of the game. <laughs> so the penalty box glass at Maple Leaf Gardens was short. It wasn't now like the glasses. Mm-hmm. I don't know how high it is. But anyway, Ulfie could... It was standing up in the box and he started shaking the penalty box glass <laughs> and like he was losing his mind. <laughs> right. And so eventually they they heard him out of the penalty box and they escort him off the ice. So now he's got no sticker, gloves, or helmet, because I don't know what's happened, but he's got yeah. none. And as he gets right off the ice, which the exit to the ice was the Zamboni doors mm-hmm. at Maple Leaf Gardens, yep. he stops Grabs the squeegee that they push the extra snow off, and beats a hole in the stalk in the front of the Zamboni grill. What? <laughs> He's swinging the thing like an axe, and he and he basically carves a hole in it. We were dying. We're like, what the hell is he doing? But anyway, he lost his mind for a moment. He had to buy a new grill for the Zamboni. I don't know what those things call. Right, right. Well, um, I'll just... give I'll give you one other one. Yeah. We're down a goal in Quebec City. Uh, we pulled the goalie. Yep. Somebody, I think Anton Stastny, gets a breakaway on the empty net and Elfie's chasing him. Mm-hmm. And Alfie throws his stick. So it's an automatic goal. Yeah. Then Ulfie threw one of his gloves. <laughs> and then he threw the other glove. I was skating up the ice kind of 10 feet away from Ron Francis, and we looked over and we were cracking up. Or, like, if the rink was 15
3: feet longer,
2: he would have had no gear on. Just throwing everything. Oh, it was okay. So
3: oh. And I imagine when you st- when he got traded away and you had to go against him, you felt his wrath a few times where you're just oh, like this. Yeah, guy. he didn't. You he know. was terrible. Awful guy to play against. <laughs> I hated it. <laughs> sort of Cam Neely, too. Um, all right, that's from Todd Hallman. Next up, and this is a, this is actually a relevant question. I was going to bring this up on the show, but I figured I will let JP uh, ask it. The Habs, what about the Habs? They are good right now, right? Asking for a friend. They do seem yeah, to have turned they, it around. Yeah,
2: they do. Um, uh, now, I I didn't pick the Canadians to to make the playoffs, and um, I think what we've seen is you know a, a bit of a market correction. Um, they were so bad, or mm-hmm. they weren't going to be that bad. Um, now I think they've won four in a row. Uh, Carey Price is hurt. Uh, they call up Charlie Lindgren and Goal, and he's done an outstanding job for them. Um, uh, he had a 35 save shutout in in Chicago, um, and so all of a sudden, the, you know, the Jets win them back to back nights, one in Winnipeg mm-hmm. and one in Chicago. Then they go home and they beat Vegas. And now they're on a run at home. They've got five more games. And the teams they're playing are not world beaters, or they're going to get them on the second of back-to-back nights. Yep. Like um, Minnesota plays Wednesday tonight, tonight in yep. Toronto, and they play Thursday in Montreal. So, you know, there's some advantages to their schedule. I think, they're a, I think they can be a pretty good team. Um, Carey Price is going to have to be, of course, much better. Um, I know people get all jacked up about the sudden story of Lindgren, but yeah. This is you know, this is on the back of Kerry Price or not. Um, I just don't think they have enough to be to be
3: a real contender. Yeah. But they were so bad, like you said. So Oh. Yeah, like that couldn't continue. <laughs> right, right, that. right. Um, all right. Alex at at Alex Anns, do guys like you and Bob McKenzie get paid each time you call him to a radio show?
2: Uh no. No more. <laughs> Um, they, they've stopped that. Um, so basically, I, I, I shouldn't say no, uh, I don't. Yeah. Um, I have a portion of my contract that is, uh, um, you know, that I'm compensated for doing radio. I, you know, it's funny. You know, I don't know if people think you do that for fun, but yeah. that's my, part of my job. Yeah. You know, so like I, I'm not going to call, like I get lots of requests from people. Hey, can you come on this show or can you come on that show? But... Th- the problem with that is if you start doing them for free, yeah. then you're like the newspaper business, and you've given everything away for free, and then you can't make a living. And the other thing is, if you charge one station and not another, how is that fair? So the answer is yes, I I, I do yeah. get compensated uh, to be on the radio.
3: And, and for people who don't know, you call into Vancouver, you call into Winnipeg. I think you call into Montreal. You call in Toronto, right? I do um, yeah. um, I do eighteen a week. Yeah. And so uh, I think about that. It's it's uh, <laughs> it's kind of busy. You did cheat on me with a couple other podcasts, by the way, that I listened to, and you did not throw a Paul Pocky, your own show plug into I either f- one. I
2: forget that. Yeah, I'm dumb like <laughs> that. I forgot that. That was that was
3: a bad move by me. Uh, all right, uh, from Zach, if you could have any kind of sandwich, Ray, what would it be? You are Italian, so what what uh, sandwich would it be? You know what sandwich I really like? I like right
2: after Thanksgiving sandwich. Oh. Turkey dressing, cranberry, lettuce. Oh, I, I love that. Oh, like like yeah. some big turkey dinner between bread again. Oh, I love it. That's, <laughs> I think that's my favorite sandwich. Although when I was a kid, and even when the kids leave theirs around now, I can eat 500 grilled cheese sandwiches. <laughs> they are. They're hard to beat. Yeah. I know it's not a culinary delight. Yep. But and it, or very difficult to make, but oh man, I love them. I used to dip them in tomato soup. I'd eat them. Oh. Sometimes mom would make a whole bunch, and you'd
3: stack like three of them on top of each other. <laughs> I just loved them. <laughs> what about sandwich? Go to sandwich shop on the road. Do you have one? Uh,
2: no, Quiznos. I like I like the toasted bread. Yeah, yep. I'm a I'm a toasted bread guy. Um, so Quiznos, yes, chicken. Um yep. that would that would be that would be my. My one. Every once in a while I think I like the I like the local sandwich shops. Like not yes. necessarily the yes. change. Yep. Like you just kinda of stumble into one and you're like, yep. oh my God, where was this place been? It is outstanding. Yeah, I love
3: that. Hard to find, but when you do, they're always good. Yes. Absolutely. Yeah, you just but it's yep. by accident. Yep. You just walk there and you're like, Oh yeah, I'll get a sandwich, you walk in. And in a lot of cases, as soon as you walk in, you know, okay, I'm in the right spot. Uh, not in Canada, but have you tried Firehouse? No, I've not. Oh, it's fantastic. You've got to go there. You'd you, you love it. I've got to find out where it is first. Yeah. Um, yeah. I guess it's not that
2: hard. I, they got that Google later machine yeah, you exactly. can find things in.
3: Right? Uh, at Oscar, uh, underscore P61, can a coach really lose a room, or is it just a cliche? Uh, they can lose it. Yep. They basically lose it because the guys know
2: that the coach is panicked or the mm-hmm. coach doesn't have any answers or the players don't trust them anymore. They don't think he's honest with them. Mm-hmm. Um, they, they think he's coaching more to management instead of what is the right way to coach. In other words, they're, he's coaching to save his job as opposed to let's do the right thing, and over time it will be the right thing.
0: Mm-hmm.
2: Um, I think players sense that. And so basically, you I, it's not like the players try less because yep. that, that doesn't happen, but things get a little slipshod they get a little shoddy right. and a little loose. And then you don't need much, and then pretty soon you're not as good as you need to be.
3: Interesting. One time you said on this show that there's always five guys on every team that don't like the coach. You know, there's always five always. guys that love the coach, I think you said, and there's ten guys in the middle.
2: <laughs> yeah, and the uh, and the, the old line is, the best coaches keep the ten guys in the middle away from the five guys that hate them. Yeah,
3: yeah. Well, I like that line you said. Uh, last one from Dustin Williams. Uh, I saw Ray mention Al Arbor was his favorite coach, which you've talked about many times. How much you loved Al? What coach during during his playing days does Ray wish he could have had a chance to play for? Who'd you admire? Oh. Hmm. Well, I,
2: I would have liked to have played for Scotty. I think. Um, although I'm sure his head games would have been a lot for me. I would have been. I would have got tied up, you know, in in knots a little bit about that. That that might have. Uh, I, I think I would have liked to have uh, played for Torts. I think we really? would have battled yeah. hard. Yeah. But yeah. Yeah, yeah. yeah. Um but I, I think he would have I think we would have gotten along because we would have understood each other. Uh-huh. Um I would have loved to have played for Joel Clenville. Uh I mean an ex teammate, yes, but um I think he's just a, a terrific coach. So
3: those are three I think that I would uh mm-hmm. would have would have liked to have played for. Uh, all right. Actually, last question. I lied. This one's pretty good. In in, prime Ray Ferraro versus prime O Dog Jeff O'Neill, who wins that fight on the ice?
2: Neither of us. (laughs) We look at each other and go, This is stupid. Why are we fighting? (laughs) Right. Stop
3: it. Too smart, right? Too smart to
2: drop them. Yeah. Like, I I was not a good fighter. I. I've only seen O fight once when he posted that video of him getting fed <laughs> by Sheldon yeah, Surrey. Yeah. And so I would have never fought a guy that big. Right. But I was a terrible fighter, and my only one viewing of O was
3: he was a terrible fighter. Yeah. So well, I think it would have been a draw, and the whole stadium would have booed. You have great stories about your, your Stevie Thomas trying to line up against Stevie Thomas, and you're like, oh, wait, I don't want oh. anything to do with Steve Thomas. Nothing. Oh, well, I... After I fought him once, I'm not fighting him
2: again. What a chance! That went so badly. Why would I try that again?
3: Absolutely. Uh, Thanks everybody for listening. Appreciate it. To wrap it up, Ray. Big news uh, in the sporting world: a loss of a hell of a guy, Uh, Roy Holiday, uh, two-time Cy Young winner, um, perished 40 years old in a a plane crash. And uh, you know, obviously, me growing up in Canada, I watched him pitch uh, for so many great games. And uh, what a loss, man! It's it's a big deal up there in Canada. It really is. And um, I was just
2: finishing lunch yesterday. I looked at my phone and, you know, my, my reaction was just, oh, no. Uh, it, made, it made my stomach sink. Um, just a brilliant competitor uh, for a lot of us, um, I guess, of our age, the, or my age anyway. You know, we saw Halliday come up as a guy that couldn't miss. And then he did miss. And then he went down to the minors and recreated everything and came back as one of the game's dominant pitchers. Um, what is really interesting is, um, you know, not that anybody, when they pass away, other people come out and say, oh, that guy wasn't a good guy. But the way that people are talking about Roy gives you a little insight into what the teammates and the media and office staff that all worked around him, mm-hmm. what they thought of him. And it's, it's universal. It is one fabulous story after another i feel i feel sad that you know he was doing something that he loved to do which was fly a plane something went wrong he's got a
3: wife he's got kids he's just 40 years old and yeah no uh, just a just a sad sad thing uh, absolutely uh, well said um Right on. Uh, thanks to Ken Daniels for joining the show, and uh, thanks to all of you people for downloading and listening and talking about it, and uh, giving us uh, r- high rankings in iTunes each and every week. And uh, we appreciate it. We will uh, we'll be here next week to uh, to talk some more hockey. Uh, thanks, Ray. Yeah, you betcha, Steve. Thanks, and thanks again for all your work with the stick. I mean, that was that
2: silver stick will be prominently displayed at home when when it finally gets uh, shipped up to me, and um, yeah, you- I love it. And uh, to everybody else, thanks for listening. Uh, keep listening. Keep emailing us questions uh, because they're entertaining. And
3: uh, I like the sandwich, or how do you, you know, how do you button a shirt? I like yeah. those ones. I think those are those are important. Perfect. Those are very important. We'll, we'll get some more of those from everybody. All right. Uh, thanks, man.
2: Cool. Have a great week.